Oftentimes for an interview, we will ask about a person's qualifications, <clears throat> and typically we ask about previous experience. What have you done that qualifies you for this job? <clears throat> when you start to think about God and his qualifications, certainly there is no other that can fit, in a sense, the job description for your needs than the one who has proven himself over and over and over again. The sun faithfully rose this morning because God is a faithful God. If God can keep the stars in their courses and if God can hold together the bands of Orion, then certainly he can hold together your life and mine. Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in the book of Romans chapter number two. Romans chapter number two. We have been in our study in the book of Romans, looking at what we, what we have called the dark backdrop of sin. And that's where Romans begins. It has a very dark backdrop, but there are certainly things that stand out with incredible brilliance against the back, the black backdrop of sin. When I was a kid, I shared a room with my two brothers. So it was the three of us in one room. And, you know, whenever you're sent to bed, you find yourself oftentimes in some kind of mischief with your brothers. And so I can almost hear this. Now, I wasn't there to hear it, but I can almost hear the conversation between my dad and my mom. And I think it went something like this. My mom would start it and she would say, do you hear that? And of course, my dad would say, what? Because we don't hear a lot of things, okay? No, you hear what those boys are doing? Well, yes, I, I hear it. What do you think they're up to? And then my dad would probably say something like, I don't know what they're up to, but it's probably no good, okay? So then we're, we're, you know, we're goofing around upstairs when we're supposed to be fast asleep. And then there was something rather um, calming, I don't know, sedating, almost hypnotic. And that was the sound of my dad's footsteps coming toward our room. I mean, the weariness that washed over us at that moment, because always, I don't know how it happened, it's something mystical and magical unbeknownst to mankind, but when he would open the door, we were fast asleep. And so my dad would open the door and, and he would say something like, what is going on up here? You know, maybe he would say, were you ever asked a question that you weren't supposed to answer, okay? What are you up to? About four foot eight. You know, that's the wrong answer to give at that moment. You know, when my dad would ask, what are you up to? He really didn't want an answer. And he knew or at least assumed it was nothing good. The title of our message today is, what is he up to? And the answer is, something good. What is God up to in your life and in mine? Well, we, we can't say that we always know exactly what it is that he is doing, but we can summarize it in a grand way, and that is he is up to something that is good. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse number 4. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, the Bible says, Or despisest thou the riches of his... This is a beautiful word that shines amidst the dark backdrop of our sin. The riches of his goodness 
and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also the Gentile, the glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. One commentator wrote, the blackest sin is not righteousness violated. Now pause and stay with the train of thought. The blackest sin is not righteousness violated. That I have done some unrighteous deed. He went on and he said, the blackest sin is not righteousness violated, but mercy despised. We're going to start by looking at three characteristics of God that the Bible actually says these are three things despised. Notice again verse number four. He uses that word as he begins, or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Goodness, forbearance, long-suffering. These have been called the trinity of graces. They're all mentioned here in this compact fashion, saying this is typical. This is who your God truly is. Goodness, when you start to just pause and think for a few moments, goodness, it's also translated throughout scripture as kindness, gentleness. God's goodness, it's that which encourages us not to be afraid of God. And there is plenty of that goodness to go around. He says the riches of his goodness. He's saying the abundance, the overflow of God's goodness. Haven't you come to know that that there are certain ways that people respond to us. And children are oftentimes brutally honest. And so a child can look at a person and begin to recoil just from the look of the person. What is it that you so often do if you're trying to win that child? Now, sometimes we might say, well, I bribe them. Okay, that, that oftentimes works. But if you're not trying to bribe a child, what do you do to try to to demonstrate some kind of goodness for the child. Do you know what we oftentimes do? We oftentimes make ourselves approachable. And so we will do something like this. We, we, we don't stand necessarily and talk to a child. If we're, if we're able to, we don't just say, well, how are you? What's your name? If we can, and at this age and stage of my life, in case you're wondering, I still can, we kneel down. Hey, how are you? What's your name? How old are you? Now, let me see. Are you in second grade? 
So we start to come down to their level. We try to make ourselves approachable. Do you know what God's done for people like you and me? He has demonstrated over and over and over and over again that he is good. He's made himself approachable. It's clearly demonstrated through the life and person of Jesus Christ. Peter was preaching, and listen to what he said. In Acts chapter 10, verse number 38, he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about, do you know the next two words? Doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. The theme of Psalm 107 is repeated as follows. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. We do wrong. We, we oftentimes say, well, wait just a minute, because bad things happen to me, and I'm a good person. We do wrong to think that, that bad things happen to good people. The truth of the matter is, is that God graciously allows good things to happen to people like you and me, bad people. There's a phrase that we use at times and it's called common grace. It means that God is good to all. He makes the sun to rise on the just and the unjust. He makes the rains to fall, that water the fields and restore the earth and replenishes our barns with plenty. This is because of the goodness of God, not because of the goodness of mankind. To live is to experience the goodness of God. To know what it means to, to enjoy love, laughter, the presence of a friend, the ability to learn, the value of accomplishment, the pleasure of food, and so much more to help me understand that God is good. Do you know, the place we begin with God beginning to unfold something that stands out against that dark backdrop of sin as God says, okay, let's begin with something that mankind so often rejects, and that is the goodness of God. But he doesn't stop there. It's as if th there's more, and he takes us now to the next place where we see not only the goodness of God, but the forbearance of God. The forbearance of God. And sometimes we might not, because of, of a lack of use, understand what does forbearance mean? It, it actually means that God has given us this window of tolerance. That God doesn't immediately swoop down on every infraction of our life and say, you're going to pay for that. Okay, right now, you're going to answer for that. God just gives us this window where God says, there's, there's this time this opportunity where I am tolerating something, allowing for something that goes against my nature and my character. He is, in a sense, putting up with some things that he shouldn't have to, but he does. The word is used, by the way, only two times in all of the New Testament. But it, again, it's communicating that idea that God is giving us this little window, this space for grace. The idea is further explained in verses 5 and 6. Look again, Romans chapter 2. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
Many in this room, many that are watching would know the the name Jonathan Edwards. And when you hear the name Jonathan Edwards, many would also connect a specific sermon. Now, Edwards was a prolific preacher and writer, but many would say, I know the sermon that he preached. And again, while he preached, many, the, the title of the sermon that would stand out to some is a sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Let me read a brief excerpt from that sermon. Edward said, the reason why they are not fallen already and do not fall now is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when, it is said that, when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at that very instant, they shall fall into destruction as he that stands on the slippery declining ground on the edge of a pit. He cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. Do you know we hear a title like, sinners in the hands of an angry God. And we say, well, well, that's what I thought. God is angry. But did you notice that even in Edward's sermon, he's talking about the fact that mankind is leaning towards this himself. And the reason he has not yet fallen in is because of the hand of God who has kept him from falling. You and I have this natural inclination. You do, I do, and we were born with it. An inclination towards sin. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. So, Dr. Zach, I'm going to ask you to help me for just a minute. So, come on up here and, and help me for just a moment. Do you know, I, Dr. Zach and I enjoy working together. We, we enjoy laughing together. We enjoy the company of one another. Uh, but I'm going to ask you to come here and help me for just a moment. And I'm going to trust you with um, myself, okay? If I lean over here, if I just lean. Now, sometimes people say, you know, sometimes you stand too close to the edge. I'm trying to keep you awake, okay? So, <laughs> so if I lean, let's see, if I just lean here and you kind of hold maybe my coat or something. So if I lean. Now, don't let go, all right? <laughs> So if I lean, let's see if I, I lean this direction. Okay, so I'm leaning. Now, hey, you let me go a little far here, okay? Okay, so if he lets go, now don't let go and don't be silly about it. If he lets go, I go the, the direction I'm leaning. I mean, if he lets go, don't let go, okay? Well, because it's the direction I'm leaning. Isn't it interesting that you and I have a so much more consequential lean about our life? Edwards has this masterful ability to describe hell in all its fury and the lean. Okay, let's stop leaning. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, by the way, for letting me trust you. Okay. So. He has this masterful ability to describe the lean. And, and it is as if we sometimes look at God and we blame God for the hell that we justly deserve. 
you and I have earned something, the wage of sin. It's not, the, it's not the, the, that I'm paying for my sin. It's actually that I am earning as a result of my sin. I'm being given that which is due and just and right and coming. The wage of sin is separation from God. And so when we hear a title like sinners in the hands of an angry God, there is a place where the anger, the wrath of God will be justly satisfied. But right now, what is it that you and I are experiencing? So long as you are taking a breath, you are experiencing that which we call the forbearance of God. It's as if God has a hold of you and your natural inclination, your natural lean, God says, if I let you go, you will fall in a direction of your own making, not mine. And so God so mercifully extends this idea of forbearance. And then it doesn't stop there just with goodness and forbearance, but it goes beyond that. And then we see this word long-suffering, long-suffering. We've heard that word before. It's found throughout Scripture. It's this Greek word makrothumeia. Makrothumeia. Macro, this is large, long, this is macro. And then thumos. We get the idea of thermal, heat. What God is saying is, we've sometimes defined it as, I am long-fused. We at times describe an angry man by having a short fuse. It doesn't take much to set him off. But be careful, he's got a short fuse once that thing's lit, the explosion is not long to follow, but not God. Macro thumea, long before the, the, the explosion, the heat. What is this? You say, well, he's, he, he, there is something building. Yeah, he treasures up, but not his wrath. He's treasuring up ours that keeps coming before him. And so because God is good, he says, I'm extending this window, this opportunity, this measure of grace. And, and yet we would be wise to know that the fuse does continue to burn. What have we done with the riches, the abundance of God's goodness, of his forbearance, of his long suffering? The Bible says that we have despised it. The word despise here, it means to think little of, to act as if it's no big deal, to act as if it's commonplace. Yeah, 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 uh, um, I can take advantage of that anytime. That's always available. I can get that whenever I want it. Yeah, 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 the goodness of God, sure. Despisest thou? To treat as, as common? To treat it like, yeah, that's really no big deal. Many here can understand the hurt that comes from a lack of what we would refer to as reciprocal love. Like I have, I have loved and it's not been reciprocated from places where we would most often expect. You gave of yourself to a child, a family member, a loved one, 
There was no reciprocal response of love. Not even thankfulness or appreciation. You loved a spouse and they have not returned that love. You gave sacrificially to an employer or an employee and they haven't been recognized or appreciated what was offered. You loved a friend and they thought little of it. While the greatest love letter ever written to mankind was the Bible, God has in an abundance of ways filled our days with visual and experiential reminders of his love through the continual display of the outpouring of his goodness. If, if you're married or, or you're dating, you're engaged, I mean, how many, how many husbands and wives haven't ever left some sticky note as a reminder for something? Hey, don't forget to pick up the dry cleaning. Don't forget to send a note to. Hey, honey, don't forget to pick up the kids like you did the last time. Okay, so don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. And then every once in a while, you probably write a, don't forget, I love you. And sometimes it's not just a note, it's some experiential evidence, a little reminder. You, you come home to something that was prepared for you because it's a, it's a little reminder. I love you. you. You get that text at just the right time and, and it's a little reminder, don't forget, I love you. And how many times does God, wherever we care to look, say, this is just a little reminder. It's not the full experience of, that's coming. There's coming a day when there's no more night, no more pain, no more tears, never crying again. But until that day, let me send you a little reminder of the fact that I love you. And he sends it in a myriad of different ways. And, and he's saying, is, is this what you despise? I've seldom paused to think accurately about the primary characteristic of God that brings mankind to repentance. But notice again what the Bible says at the last part of verse number four. He says, and knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. It's as if God is creating this trail of goodness, one step after the next, after the next. And there's a place that he's leading us all along the way with these little sticky notes of his love. I am leading you to a place of, and then that word, repentance. Repentance. You say, well, what, what exactly does that mean? We understand that repentance is some people ask the question, is repentance necessary for salvation? And the answer in a very Bible definition of the word repentance, absolutely. Well, yes, repentance is necessary. Now, some people try to define repentance as you've got to clean up your life before you can actually come to Jesus. But that's not the meaning of the Bible word. In fact, it's impossible for a person to clean up their life and then come to Jesus. So what does this mean? 
The Bible says in Luke 5, 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Acts chapter 17, verse number 30, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Luke chapter 15, verse number seven, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. The word repent, it's another compound Greek word, metanoeo. It simply means to change your mind, to change your mind. The idea of repentance begins with an acknowledgement. It's as if we're saying to God words that are very hard to say. How many of you find that you, you just know yourself? How many of you find, it's just us here, so how many of you find that you have a hard time saying the three words, those three special little words, I was <clears throat> I was wrong. How many of you have a hard time saying those words? I have a hard time saying those words. But I like to hear other people say those words. So I had an opportunity two days ago. My 15-year-old niece, Annie, is here visiting with us right now. And we were talking in the morning and she said, Uncle Jeff, what happened to the pineapple plant that was back on your patio? Well, I knew we never had a pineapple plant back on our patio. And so I said, Annie, we've never had a, a pineapple plant back on our patio. She says, yes, you did. I said, no, no, we didn't. And she says, no, I remember it was a pineapple plant and it was planted right. And she said where it was planted. And I know the patio and I've lived there ever since I've lived there. And she's never been to the house at a time before I've lived there. So I knew that, um, that there was no pineapple plant. So I said to Annie, I said, okay, let's ask Aunt Julie. And when Aunt Julie comes out, whatever she says, the other person will have to say, I was wrong. What do you think about that, Annie? And she gave it some thought. She says, okay. I said, okay. Hey, babe. You know, and Julie comes out. And, and um, was there ever a pineapple plant planted on our patio? And I love the look on her face. So she goes, oh. And then I look at Annie because I want to see how Annie responds, okay? So I'm looking at Annie and Julie goes, oh, no. Well, there was that one. <laughs> she says, you know, we had it. It was a gift. Somebody gave it to us. And, um, and we had it planted right over, right to where Annie said it was planted. And now expressions on faces began to strangely change. And she's like, oh, and I said, no, what, what, the, what, oh, <laughs> so I still haven't said the words. <laughs> so let's move on. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Annie, I was wrong. Okay. Those are hard words to say. Do you know what repentance is? It's to say before Almighty God, I was wrong. I thought I could attain heaven by my membership, by my baptism, by my church, by my good works. Whew. 
I, I had my faith placed in, in something that would never provide salvation. I was wrong. I placed my faith exclusively in the finished work of Jesus Christ. By faith. Yeah, by faith alone. Repentance is, is the other side of the coin of faith. You, you cannot truly say, no, 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 I have faith in Jesus that he's enough, while you are at the same time saying, yeah, and I also have faith that it's necessary for me to be a member of the church and for my good works to be sufficient and for me to finally accomplish something and, and my baptism. And you can't do that. I repent. I was wrong. Repentance is, is one of those necessary acknowledgments. I changed my mind for salvation. And you know, it's also wonderful for, for revival in the life of a believer. Do believers repent? Well, we should. Yeah, I think I can continue to live the lifestyle that I am living and experience the reviving overflow of the goodness of God. I can continue to deny the plan that he has for my life. I can go my own way and I can still do so without consequence, without issue, without any problem because I can actually have God conform his way to me as opposed to me conform my way to God. And what does that demand? It demands repentance to change our mind. And what does that bring? It brings revival, a return to normalcy the normal Christian life. Have you ever thought about something? Have you ever thought about someone in a specific way and you had some impressions about that person, but the more you came to know the person, the more you began to change your mind? Do you know there are a lot of people who ascribe certain things to God and they say, well, God is this and he's that and he's that. I would submit to you that they don't truly know God. Maybe you've had another person say, hey, I just met a friend of yours and the impression that they first had may not have been an accurate impression. You say, you say well, no, 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 that's not really them. Once you truly get to know them, I mean, aren't there people in here that are living the example, the reality of my first impression was not, you know, we've referenced married couples, but how many stories, because I ask them all the time, how did you two meet? And the, usually the wife or the fiance says, well, when I first met him, I didn't really like him, okay? I hear that all the time. So guys, there is hope, okay? Well, when I first met him, I didn't really like him, but. Well, what about you? When I first met her, I was smitten, okay? And then finally over time, I said, I kept asking. She kept saying no. I kept asking. She kept saying no. I kept asking. And three times I asked her, you know, and, and she said yes. And then thinking began to change. So what, what I assumed at first, so often we have this impression of God, but, but it's not an accurate impression of God. It's a God of our own making. We change our mind about this thinking. 
God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering are those things that no one should ever despise or treat lightly. They are the very tokens of God's love that are intended to bring people just like you and me to a place of repentance. So what has mankind despised? His goodness, his forbearance, his long-suffering. Let's just wrap this up with what are those things that are determined Things determined. You know, I I see these listed here as well. The first thing that's determined, so before we take lightly God's goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, before we treat that as commonplace, there are some things that have been determined. Look at verse number five. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Some will, of course, be tempted to say, how can a righteous God judge a person who has never heard of him? Well, they've never heard the name of God. How can he righteously judge them? He answers that. Look down at verses 14 and 15. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Do you know how God can righteously judge all of mankind? Because God has instilled in every person this this law book, that we know the law even without the codified written law. We, we have this conduct law, not this necessarily code of law. And we know when our conduct steps out of line with Almighty God. Not long ago, the world was once again embroiled with the news of cheating during the Olympics. It's become almost commonplace with some new report of doping or, or some form of trying to circumvent the rules. And it's brought to light, it seems like now, every time the Olympics roll around. And what is the universal, what is the world's response to that? We, we all throw up, in a sense, some flag of foul. There's some wrong, some injustice that's done, and it's universal. Where does that come from? It comes from a God who has written it in our hearts. Why can't we truly enjoy a victory or a grade or an award when we have cheated? Because all of mankind knows that cheating is wrong. All of this is to prove the point that God is righteous in his judgment. There is no cheating or gaming his system. God remains a righteous judge who will judge all men equitably. And he's not only a righteous judge, he's no respecter of persons. See verse 11, Romans 2 verse 11. For there is no respect of persons with God. Who is it that will stand before God, equally stand before God? In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That little statement, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Here in Pensacola, we have a place called Barrancas National Cemetery. It, it is, although it is a, a resting place for the dead that have served in our military forces, it, it's strangely beautiful. The grounds are, are wonderfully kept. There are these just rolling hills of markers. New places are being added. They've just extended it quite significantly. And it's, it's strangely beautiful. One of the things that stands out when you see Barrancas is that the markers are the same. The record of the person's name, the, the war, the conflict with which they had served, their, their, their connection to some family, but it is the same. In a sense, you're looking out and you're seeing that the small and the great the rich and the poor, the young and the old, those of great rank and those of very simple rank are all placed in a way that shows there is no respecter of persons. You and I will have no special lane with God. He is no respecter of persons. He is the righteous judge who will judge all men equitably. Everyone will be judged according to their works. There's one exception to this. Works will be judged as we stand before the righteous judge. But I will either be judged by my works or I by faith and a change of mind. Say, God, I changed my mind. I don't want to be judged by my works. Uh, judge me by the works of another whose name is Jesus Christ. Whose works will you be judged by when you stand before the righteous judge? If you are judged by your own works, the books are written. They have not missed a detail of your life. Perfection is the requirement for heaven. And there is only one whose works will be seen as sufficient. By whose works will you be judged? He's the revealer of secrets. In that day when God shall judge the secrets of men... By Jesus Christ, according to my gospel, Romans 2.16. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. The songwriter well said, there's no hiding place down here. 
What is it that leads us to repentance? The sticky notes, so to speak, are posted everywhere. That is the goodness of God. It leads the sinner to repentance. And it reminds the saint. That's the child of God. That God is good. Father, thank you for the, the very dark backdrop of sin. Because when we get glimpses of who you are against that dark backdrop, you stand out with a brilliance that is exclusively yours. There's nothing else that compares with it. It is exclusively yours. Father, thank you for how you've made a path for us to come to Christ. That we, we can change our mind, repent of the, the plan that we thought was sufficient for heaven. Reject it and claim Christ and Christ alone. Father, if there are those within the sound of my voice who have not yet trusted Jesus Christ alone, they are leaning over judgment and it is but for you to release your grip and we fall in the direction to which we ourselves are leaning. Lord, please help us, I pray, to see the goodness that leads us to repentance. For the lost, may they come to Christ. For the saved, may we be reminded that you are always and only good. Help us now, we pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, as this service concludes, do you see the path that leads you to God? It's a path strewn with his goodness. You might say, well, bad things, hard things happen. I know. But all along the way, markers of God's goodness. Have you accepted him? Received Christ? You will be judged one day according to your works. Or according to the work, the finished work of Christ. There's only one that's acceptable before God. All others will be released to fall in the direction that they are currently leaning. If you've never trusted Christ, why not today? Humbly receive the greatest gift ever offered, the gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. Why not today? Why not today? The extended goodness of God is even at this moment leading you to repentance. Maybe you're a believer here. You say, I already know God. Have you, have you treated his goodness even in salvation lightly? Lord, I've, I've been trying to kind of do my own thing. Lord, I repent. I want revival. Whatever it is that the Lord is directing asking, calling of you today, why don't you respond to that pathway of goodness? If you're here today and you've not yet trusted Christ, why not today? If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, the Lord's working on my heart regarding this matter of salvation. I've seen his goodness. I, I haven't yet accepted it. And it's time for me to, 
to walk that pathway that leads to repentance, to change my mind about him and accept Christ personally as my Savior. If that's you here today, you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven, but I want to know and I see his path of goodness. If that's you, would you slip up a hand and just let me pray for you today? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I don't know that I'm on my way to heaven. Remember me before God. If that's you, slip up a hand and let me see it. I'll pray for you. Any today, in here. Then let me ask this question. How many of you'd say, I think I've treated lightly that pathway of goodness? I've been seeing what I want to see and not necessarily the goodness of God. Do you know if you're here today and you'd say, I, I needed to hear, even as someone who's saved, to be reminded about the goodness of God. Why not tell him right now, right where you're seated, God, thank you that you are up to something and that something is good. Thank you for the goodness in my life even today. Just tell him right now. Would you look this direction? Well, as, as I say often, thank you for the privilege of gathering together under the name of Christ and looking at his word and seeing what he has for us today. Look forward to the service tonight. Tonight we will continue on with our evening series, and that is Does It Really Matter? So hope you'll be able to join us tonight for the ongoing Does It Really Matter? series. Uh, Dr. Zach, why don't you come and uh, dismiss us in a song? Julie and I are going to be out in the main lobby. We would sure be honored to meet you following the service. Dr. Zach. Let's all stand and sing once again the chorus till until then. God bless you.